All right, we talked a bit about the keto diet, but and it's relatively well known that intermittent fasting can help to uh, restrict the feeding window and restrict the overall number of calories, and then maybe there's some little bit of keto uh, keto ketogenesis that kicks in. But um, extended fasting is not something I've heard of before, and extended fasting to specifically treat some ailments is not something I've ever heard of before. And so this podcast did some research into that, and I just blew, blew my mind how many days you can go without food uh, that people have tried and had no problem and tried again and had no problem. Um, it, I think, is a function of pure willpower there. But also, it seems like the body can heal itself while it's not trying to eat. When did we start seeing fasting, not just as a spiritual practice, but also as a medical treatment? It really began with the ancient Greeks, specifically the Hippocratic writers 2,400 years ago. There's a body of about 60 texts associated with Hippocrates, who probably wrote very few, if any of them. They're the work of his disciples and family. But whoever wrote them, they're remarkable because they're the first to say, disease isn't caused by supernatural phenomena. It's not caused by evil spirits and so on. Diseases have natural causes that we can try to understand and can sometimes treat. Unfortunately, there was a taboo on dissecting human bodies, so the Hippocratics couldn't look under the hood and figure out how things worked. They just had no idea. So they concocted all kinds of nutball theories about about, uh, disease and how to cure it. A few of the Hippocratic writers briefly mentioned fasting, but they just didn't know how to use it. So there's a text called Aphorisms, for example, in which the writer said that spasms and hiccups could be cured either by fasting or by not fasting, specifically overeating. And, you know, the reader's sitting there wondering, well, which the hell is it? Do I stuff myself or do I fast? Even so, one or two of the Hippocratic writers were onto something. There's a, a writer of a text on acute illnesses, things like fevers, colds, who suggested that fasting for a few days to treat those illnesses would be useful, and who also suggested periodic fasts as a kind of reset for the body. But unfortunately, his good advice was mixed up with all the chaos and craziness of early medicine. And fasting, though it got its birth with the ancient Greeks, was never used rigorously or scientifically or frankly usefully by the Greeks. When did fasting really start picking up steam as a medical treatment? Was it after the Renaissance? When did that start happening? Yeah, you're right. Right after the Renaissance. It really wasn't until the birth of a more scientific outlook with the age of reason. So let's say 16th, 17th centuries that finally sort of threw out all the, the quackery that was medicine throughout pretty much all of recorded history to that point. But the progress was really slow. So it wasn't really until the early 19th century that you start getting pretty impressive accounts in the US and Europe from doctors who began to notice that when there was, say, an outbreak of typhus or yellow fever, their patients who refused to eat often did better, usually did better, than their patients who ate. They also observed that patients who fasted did better than patients who took their rudimentary medicines and their other crude treatments of the day, which were things like bleeding and you know, purging people to give them diarrhea and giving them emetics to make them vomit and things like that. These early doctors who turned to fasting at this time were really onto something that could have been deeply helpful to patients because medicine in that era was still almost entirely quackery. Unfortunately, what happened is most other doctors called these fasting doctors quacks. 
They just could not accept that conventional medicine was, as it in fact was, doing more harm than good. And it was too counterintuitive for them to understand that by not treating the body at all, that by taking away food, the body could heal itself better than the doctors could with their so-called medicines. So conventional doctors kept fasting well off to the margins, which unfortunately is a theme that has continued for the last couple hundred years. And it makes sense why. I mean, you imagine the doctor is thinking, well, you know, I'm here to treat the person. Fasting is like, I just, I'm not doing anything. It's like, why do you even need me? And so I can see why, well, we're not going to do that because that requires me not to use my services. It makes total sense, both from a very you know, sort of practical economic view and, and personal view of what you're talking about. The doctors, the doctor has come there to do the healing. So the doctor wants to give a medicine and the patient, frankly, wants to receive a medicine and be cured. But there's also this bigger thing going on where fasting is quite understandably deeply counterintuitive. Everyone knows that food makes you healthy. You eat food, you feel better, you grow up, you grow big and strong. Everyone knows that when you don't eat, you feel like crap, you feel weak. And to think that this could actually help you, that there are repair mechanisms going on when we stop eating, that's just a very foreign concept to people. And it's very understandable why. So in the 19th century, you had some doctors experimenting with fasting as a medical treatment. But what was happening too in the culture, there was just people, regular folks who were just kind of doing individual experiments on themselves to help them get better. And then fasting also became kind of kind of a like it's sort, of, sort of like now is it was kind of like a fad like people were seeing each other doing fasting and I want to see if I can up this guy and there's this guy you you start the book of Henry S Tanner tell us about this guy and and what influence did he have on bringing fasting to the wider culture yeah he he is the father of modern fasting for sure Henry Tanner was what was called an eclectic doctor which would be something like a naturopath today and he had experimented on, on himself with fasting for a few days and also with his patients. In 1877, when he was living in Minneapolis, he fell ill with what was probably a stomach flu. He said he had a rheumatic heart, which is kind of a heart inflammation, and uh, something like a nervous breakdown, probably because his, his wife had just ditched him and his medical practice was tanking. So Tanner decides he's going to fast until he either cures himself or kills himself. And by one account, he didn't care what the outcome was. At the time, men of science thought you couldn't go longer than eight to 10 days without food. But as Tanner approached that supposedly fatal 10th day, he actually found his ailments dropping away one by one. And eventually he felt so good that he, for example, resumed his daily walks. We're talking like 15 or 20 mile walks. He ends up fasting 41 days. Word gets out about his fast and he's widely ridiculed and called a liar. No one can believe that, that this has happened. So a few years later, when an opportunity arose in 1880 to fast on a public stage in New York City, he took the chance to redeem his reputation. And this fast in New York got enormous public attention, partly because he got involved with a very personal duel of words with a famous New York doctor, a former Surgeon General of the United States, who said all this fasting stuff with nonsense. And at first, the press and public took that famous doctor's side and ridiculed Tanner, too. But eventually, all the big newspapers sent these tag teams of reporters to watch him 24 hours a day and report on him there on the stage of this lecture hall where he fasted and slept and lived in full view of the public, who were just captivated, especially after Tanner passed the supposedly fatal 10th day and was still alive. 
He was a huge sensation, bigger than the presidential race that year. It was reported on not just in every newspaper in the United States, but in great many newspapers in Europe, Africa, and Asia. He eventually fasted for 40 days. The trouble was, unlike in his Minneapolis fast, he didn't have any illnesses to cure in New York. So while he had proved that you could fast for a long time without harm, and that was important, he hadn't proved that fasting could cure anything. Still, the publicity that he got was so substantial that it kicked off the modern interest in fasting, which eventually led people, including scientists, to give fasting a much closer look, and we are still benefiting from that work, that showmanship of Henry Tanner today. Yeah, and you also read another guy that popularized fasting in America, a guy named Bernard McFadden. We did a podcast about him a while back ago. That's episode number 624, who want to check it. This guy's crazy. He's just he's just a crazy guy, but he was like the first fitness influencer. He had this slogan that I love. It's like, weakness is a crime. Don't be a criminal. Um, but he he was really big into fasting and he helped popularize it. And then throughout the 20th century, fasting was still kind of, you know, on the outskirts of traditional medicine. You said now with the research that we have about fasting, people are starting to take it more serious. Doctors are starting to take it more serious. Let's talk about what some of this research is showing about the benefits of fasting as a medical treatment. So for starters, what does a fast look like to get these benefits? So it sounds like some of the things you've been talking about, this is not just a one-day fast. These are This is like multiple-day fast, correct? Yeah. You know, basically speaking, there are two kinds of fasting. There's daily fasting, which a lot of people call intermittent fasting, which is just narrowing your eating window each day. And that has shown very impressive results for preventing diseases we don't yet have. But then what we've mostly been talking about is prolonged fasting, which is fasting for multiple days, even weeks. And that has been shown not just to prevent disease, but in many cases to reverse diseases that we already have. And we're talking about some of our you know, leading killers like cardiovascular disease or type 2 diabetes or other conditions that are becoming epidemic like irritable bowel syndrome or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Uh, so yes, research into to such fasts for such conditions uh, has been growing and few doctors are starting to recommend it. And, and these are water fasts. So they're just, you're drinking water, but you're just not eating, correct? For the most part, yes. Yeah. Fasting doctors in the U.S. fast their patients on water only. In Europe, most fasting doctors use a different form of fasting. It's called a modified fast. And people take about 250 calories a day, mostly in vegetable broths. That's not too many calories that it will bump you out of fasting metabolism, but it is enough calories that it gives you some energy. You're able to do some things like hiking and you can you know, have fewer side effects like headaches and nausea, which some people get on a water-only fast if it goes long enough. How long are some of these fasts? So, you know, Henry Tanner went 41 days, like he bested Jesus. What's the longest fast that we know about? Yeah, so you can fast as long as you have the fat stores to live on. So the longest fast on record was a fast of 382 days by a Scotsman in the 1960s who weighed 456 pounds at the start of his fast. He wanted to get down to 180 pounds, and after more than a year of fasting, he did so. So what goes on in the body that allows for an extended fast like that? And sometimes you can not only survive it, but you can thrive like this, you know, Henry Tanner, but other people talk about 10 days in their fast, they're feeling great. They can go on hikes. So what is going on physiologically in our body in a prolonged fast that allows for that? Yeah, we survive by living off of our fat, 
which is technically actually off a breakdown product of our fat that a lot of people are familiar with now called ketone bodies. The body's preferred fuel is glucose. That's the sugar from the carbohydrates in our meals. But when we go without food for long enough, the body will shift its metabolism so that it can run on ketones. And in some respects, the body may even actually run more efficiently on ketones. As it does so, the body turns on when it gets into this fasting metabolism of ketosis, it also turns on a bunch of repairs. And these are partly responsible for what allows us to thrive while fasting. See, our body, uh, our bodies are these marvelous self-healing machines. They're constantly making repairs all the time in our cells to spare us from disease. But they usually make these repairs only at a very low rate because they're so busy most of the time doing all the other things that make up our lives. And one of the biggest tasks is digesting our food each day, processing the nutrients from that food, and putting the nutrients to work in cells all over our bodies. But when we give our bodies a break from that immense labor, evolution has endowed our cells with these beautiful mechanisms that take advantage of the rest to ramp up cellular repairs. These are repairs like patching up more damaged or miscopied DNA, which if not fixed could cause disease, and increasing the recycling of cellular parts that have gotten worn out and could also cause disease if not fixed, or increasing the antioxidants in our bodies that wipe out the free radicals that can damage our cells. When these repairs go on during a prolonged fast, we see immediate, very healthy changes. High blood pressure drops and starts to normalize. People who are insensitive to insulin grow more sensitive to it. The repairs that I'm talking about do happen on the daily fasts with the narrowed eating window each day, but they really happen with prolonged fasts of a week or multiple weeks. All right. I had to cut that off, but there was a really good discussion about the Minnesota prison experiment. Um, Google for images of that if you're interested, but also be warned that the images can be pretty graphic.